Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. It was a few years ago on the Montel Williams show when I was talking with him about love, and I made this statement. Falling in love is a process. If you follow the process, you fall in love whether you intend to or not. If you vacate or violate the process, you fall out of love whether you intend to or not. Let me say that just one more time to make sure that you heard it. Falling in love is a process. If you follow the process, you fall in love whether you intend to or not. If you vacate or violate the process, you fall out of love whether you intend to or not. Many years ago, as a matter of fact, 29, my wife and I remarried each other. We had been married the first time for 15 years and then divorced for three. Then we married each other again and almost divorced again because there were several problems in our relationship we still hadn't fixed. We didn't want to do that to each other. We certainly didn't want to do that to our children, to our families, to our friends. And so we figured out we have to find out how to make this relationship work. We will learn how to be in love with each other. Unfortunately, we didn't have the help that we needed to do that and had to discover a lot of things just by trial and error. If we were the only people ever to do that, then we would be an anomaly, but we're not. As a matter of fact, since that time, uh, more than 200,000 people have been through courses and seminars and workshops that I've developed. And I actually have a book out there called The Art of Falling in Love. It's one of several books that I've written. And in that, we discuss basically social science, which is there is a process. There's a process that people go through when they fall in love. And if they follow that process, as I've already said, they'll fall in love even if that was not their intent. On the other hand, because most people don't understand the process, after they fall in love and they just seem to haphazardly do so, although there really was a process, they just think they fell in love with each other. And then what happens is that they don't stay on the path. As a matter of fact, I call it the love path. And they don't stay on that path, and so eventually what they do is they fall out of love with each other. And that turns out to be a pretty bad thing. Now, let me explain the process simply. If you wish, you obviously can go to Amazon.com and look for The Art of Falling in Love by Joe Beam. You can buy it there. All the hardback versions are gone. You'll have to buy it in softback. Some people call that paperback. And you can buy it on Amazon for a really good price if you wish to do it that way. You can also get it on their Kindle and other things like that. But let me share with you the four basic steps of falling in love. If you've got a piece of paper with you, you might want to jot down these four things. Each one starts with an A. And each one is better explained by a C word that describes it. And the first is what is called attraction. The second is what's called acceptance. The third is attachment. And the fourth is aspiration. Now, the C word that goes with the first one, attraction, is closer. When you're attracted to another person, you want to be closer to that person. You do realize that most of the people on this planet with whom you interact or just even see if you're walking through the mall or walking down the street are people that you're going to see as neutral. They're not particularly attractive, nor are they particularly repulsive. They're just neutral and yet there are some people that you'll run into that you'll find are attractive. And if you want to look at all the research out there about what it is that attracts one person to another, it's ample. And so a few years ago, sifting through those various research projects, what I did was to narrow them down into an acronym so that I could explain them to people very quickly. And if you've heard me talk very much, you may have heard me talk about these things. It's called Pies, P-I-E-S. The P stands for physical, the I for intellectual, the E for emotional, and the S for spiritual. So physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual. Sometimes people say, well, can you say that in a way that we can better understand? Well, you can think about it in terms of body, mind, heart, and soul. 
But of course, that doesn't make an acronym. So if you take body, mind, heart, and soul and put it into an acronym, it's physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, it's the vice. I could spend a lot of time explaining to you the research out there about what attracts one person to another when it comes to physical things. Even then, we couldn't cover everything. For example, we know that people whose faces are more symmetrical are considered to be more attractive. What I mean by that is if we took a picture of your face and then photoshopped it, flipped one side over to the other, you'd actually look like somebody different. No matter which side we flipped to the other, you would look like a different person if we made your face symmetrical. And the people who are more naturally symmetrical are typically viewed as being more attractive. But it's more than just facial features. When it comes to physical attraction between two people, particularly two people of opposite genders, a great deal of it has to do with the fact that we are created and designed to procreate. In other words, to make children, progeny. And therefore, much of what physically attracts one person to another, even though we don't realize it, has a lot to do with procreation. So, for example, if you take the studies that have been done around the world where they show frontal silhouettes of women to men, the one that's chosen most often, it does not mean it's chosen 100% of the time by any means, but the one that's chosen more often around the world is a waist-to-hip ratio of 70 to 80%. That means that the woman's waist is about 70 to 80% size of her hips. Of course, in some culture, the hips are larger and some they're more narrow, but that same ratio. And whether you realize it or not, that is the ideal proportion for childbearing. And the other things we tend to notice about women, guys, often have to do with childbearing. So clean, shiny hair, for example, uh, is more attractive typically than dull, brittle hair because it probably indicates health where dull, brittle hair might indicate sickness. Clear eyes, health, eyes that are not. Maybe sickness, clean, straight teeth, health. You follow the process. Clear skin. You understand what I'm talking about. And what we're doing is we're looking at these people. And if they happen to be a little in the sense that maybe a, a true blonde or a true redhead, blue eyes, things that are not part of the everyday. In other words, there are fewer people with those kind of traits, the, the truly red hair, blonde hair, blue eyes, those kinds of things. Then we tend to see them as more attractive as well. Why? It still has to do with procreation. It's that we could make not only a baby, but one that's a little different, maybe uh, differentiate a little bit in the gene pool here. And so while we will talk about symmetrical faces and breast size and all those kinds of things, physically what's really attracting men to women has to do with the fact that that woman could create a healthy baby. And interestingly, when you start looking about physically what attracts women to men, it's similar in some ways. They tend to be drawn toward men who are taller, men with broad shoulders, men who are in good physical condition. It really has to do with signs of dominance, not domination. When things true of every dictator, somebody wants him dead, but dominance. In other words, this is a good, healthy being here who could make good, healthy beings. And so a lot of what physically attracts us to another person has to do with making children. That's why no matter how old a man gets, he's still hardwired to notice young women because of the fact that those are the women who are typically the ones who are having the children. So when you come to physical attraction, what you think about is this, that we should keep our bodies in as good a shape as possible. We may not all be physical tens because our faces aren't symmetrical. Even our bodies might be a little different. There are different somatotypes out there. So that some people are thinner, some people are heavier, some have bigger hips. Um, you don't understand what I'm saying. But it has to do with keeping ourselves in as good a physical shape as possible, being as healthy as we can be, as much as we can. And that attracts other people to us. So we take care of our bodies. We exercise, we work out, we eat right, those kinds of things. You don't have to explain that to most single people. They get it. Sometimes you do have to explain it to married people. Now, intellectual attraction basically says not only... Not only do I have a way to be attracted to you physically, but I'm also attracted to your mind. What that means is that we have enough similarities that we can understand each other. So similar ethnicity, similar educational backgrounds, similar socioeconomic backgrounds, the things where that I know that I can interact and talk with you and we can understand each other. Emotional attraction has to do with the fact that this person does things that evokes emotions within me that I enjoy feeling. And so if the person makes me feel handsome, I would be drawn closer to that person. If the person makes me feel safe, 
I'll be drawn closer to that person. If the person makes me laugh, I'll be drawn closer to that person. In other words, the things that he or she does evoke emotions within me that I enjoy feeling. And that attracts me to that person. I want to be near them. And then there's spiritual attraction. And this is not talking about religion per se. It's actually talking about beliefs and values. Beliefs are those things that you hold to be true. Values are how you expect people to behave based on what you believe to be true. For example, we'll just mention one of the, of the things that Americans argue about. Let's just talk about same-gender marriage. If your belief system is that marriage is between a man and a woman, then your value system is against same-gender marriage. If your belief system is that marriage is between any two people who love each other, then you'd be for same-gender marriage. So it's your belief system that determines what you value. What I believe determines how I expect people to behave. Typically, we are attracted to people that we perceive as having belief and value systems that are similar to ours, or that we perceive have belief and value systems that are superior to ours. Now, if you put all that together, the body, mind, heart, and soul, the physical, intellectual, emotional, and spiritual, each of those things can have a positive and a neutral and a negative. As I said, as we began the program, most people you run into will be in the neutral category. Most people that you experience or, or encounter in life will be in the neutral category. But there are some that you'll find that are particularly attractive physically or and or intellectually and or emotionally and or spiritually. As I tell my students when I teach at Lipscomb University, when I ask the co-eds, the young women in our class, how many of you ever compare yourself with other women and come out second best? You do know that 100% of the hands go up. It's the culture in which we live. And I talk about the fact that sometimes you'll compare yourself to another female and you'll think I'm not as physically attractive as she, or intellectually, I'm not maybe as smart as she, or emotionally or spiritually or whatever. But I point out to them that if you could have a scale of 10 on each of those four areas, then a total score could be 40. And what if another person is a physical nine, but then a five and a five and a five? Well, you add that up, and let's see, that's 15 and nine, that's 24. Let's suppose you're only a physical five, although most people are better than that, a physical five, but a nine and a nine and a nine. And those other areas, that's 27 plus five, that's 32. In the long run, you're much more attractive. Now, it's true that both for men and women, if they're looking only for a short relationship, a short-term relationship, I should say, then they're more attracted by physical features. They really concentrate on the physical if what they're looking for is short-term, whether that's a guy looking for a short-term or a woman looking for a short-term. But typically when we look for something that's longer than that, we look beyond that, and the emotional becomes much more important. We still want the person to be in good physical shape. We want to be physically attracted to him or her because if we do have sex with our spouses, and we should, by the way, be having sex with our spouses. We want to find it pleasant from a physical standpoint. You're in good shape. You've taken care of yourself. I enjoy being with you. But the emotional becomes the big thing when you're looking for a long-term relationship. Is this a person I'm comfortable being with? A person that it does things that evokes emotions within me that I enjoy feeling, whether it's laughter or safety or feeling handsome or pretty or whatever it might be. All of these things are important through a lifetime. And if you keep them all on the positive side, you stay attractive. And that will attract other people to you. Now, not necessarily everybody you want to be attracted to you. You do understand that, of course, that there will be some people to whom you are attracted that will not be reciprocally attracted to you. But if you do the things, if you work on the past, the physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and become the best you can be at each of those at your age and situation in life, we're not expecting something that's impossible or unrealistic. Then by doing those things, you become a more attractive person. And people want to be closer to you, even if they don't necessarily want a relationship. They want to be closer to you because you manifest those features. Now, that's not enough for a relationship. If, indeed, you attract other people to you that you want. And so let's say we're talking to a single woman now, and she's saying, I want to be married someday. Okay, then work on the pies, because then that will attract men to you. You get to decide whether you're reciprocally attracted to them, of course, but you work on the pies. Or even if you're married and been married for a while, and you say, I want to make sure our love keeps growing, then always, always work on the pies. All of your life, 
at your age and situation in life, be as physically best as you can be. Keep growing intellectually. Make your mind work. Learn emotionally. Figure out how to do the things that evoke emotions within the other person that he or she enjoys feelings. And spiritually, make sure that your beliefs and values are not only the ones that you want, but ones that the people around you can see as being good. So they're attracted because they see yours as being at least equal, if not superior to theirs. Now, if you don't do those things, or let's say you did them for a while, let's say that you get married and you quit taking care of yourself physically, or you begin to stagnate intellectually, or you quit doing those things that evoke positive emotions. As a matter of fact, may even start doing those things that evoke negative emotions in the other person. And spiritually, instead of continuing to grow and develop, you actually begin to deteriorate, devolve, if you will. Then you will become unattractive. Even if you're married to the person, you will become unattractive over time. Physically and or intellectually and or emotionally and or spiritually. And because those things are important and crucial for an entire lifetime, when you become unattractive, the other person actually starts moving away from you because attraction moves people closer to you. Being unattractive, and remember, we're not talking about you having to be a physical 10. Hopefully, you've understood everything I've said so far. But being unattractive, people no longer want to get close to you. Even the ones that you love and care deeply about may start moving away from you. Now, the second step is what's called acceptance, and this is the key to love. You see, what we all crave, I want it, you want it, everybody on the planet wants it. Even children, as soon as they begin to understand that they actually exist and that they have existence and individuality, they want it too. We all want to be loved, and by that, I mean we all want to be accepted as we are. I don't want to have to meet your criteria or conditions to feel that you love me. And so if I feel like I have to lose weight for you to love me, I'm not going to like that. If I feel like I've got to be a certain personality for you to love me, I'm not going to like that. When people feel like they have to meet a certain criteria to be loved, either they reject the criteria, I'm not going to do that. Or they do it and they resent it. They resent it because of the fact that they still don't feel like you love them for them. They feel like that you love what you want them to be, what you want them to think, what you want them to feel, what you want them to do. And while it's a good thing to do things that make you feel good about me, I enjoy that. If I have to do that in order to feel loved by you, as I just said, I'll either reject it or I'll resent it if I do it. We want to be accepted and loved for who we are. We know that we're screwed up. We know that we're flawed. We know that we're imperfect. There are some days when we have trouble liking ourselves. There are some days when we have trouble loving ourselves. Even at that, I want somebody else who can see me as I really am without any falsification, without any hypocrisy, without any pretending or acting, without trying to be what it is that you demand of me. For you to look at me and see the person that I really am, even though I will not be perfect, and I certainly won't be everything you want me to be, but you can love me anyway. Accept me as I am. I actually had a student ask me very recently about her boyfriend saying, well, you know, he has some trouble with drugs. Does accepting him mean I have to accept all his behaviors when it comes to things that he really shouldn't be doing? No, no, it doesn't mean that. Accepting a person as he or she is, is to accept the fact that he wants the drugs, even accept the fact that if he's an addict, that he's an addict. But it does not mean accepting that behavior. So, for example, if I'm, if I'm having a problem with alcohol, Alice, my wife, can accept the fact that I have a problem with alcohol, but she would not accept me coming home drunk on Friday nights. So accepting a person as he or she is does not necessarily mean you accept everything that he or she does. There are certain behaviors that you accept because they're really not destructive. They're really not that bad, but they're not what you want the other person to do. In our workshop this past weekend for marriages in trouble, I was listening to a husband talk about that. You know, it's just that she's different than I am. She does things differently than I do. And what you guys are teaching me here is 
that I should love her for who she is. She doesn't have to think like I think, do things the way I would do them, even feel the same emotions that I would feel. As long as what she's thinking or doing or feeling is not destructive to her, not destructive to our relationship, not destructive to me or to our children, then I need to accept the fact that she is an individual and accept her just as she is. Again, with a caveat, we've already listed that there are certain behaviors that you will not accept because they're, they are destructive and you don't do that. And when I feel that you accept me as I truly am, then I have the freedom to become someone else. As Carl Rogers said a long time ago, he's been dead for a while. Carl Rogers said, when I accept myself as I am, I change. And when I accept others as they are, they change. You know, he was right about that. You say, well, what does that mean? If I feel like I have to change to have you love me or accept me, I've already said it. I'll reject it. Or if I do it, I'll resent it. When I know you love me just as I am, flawed and all, now I have the freedom to change because I'm not changing to make you love me. I'm changing because of the fact that I know you already love me. Therefore, I'm not having to earn it. I'm not having to meet your criteria or conditions. That's actually what's called unconditional love. And by doing that, I'm free to grow and develop and change because I'm not trying to earn anything. I know that I'm loved as I am. That's what creates that freedom. And it comes down to the same thing with me, that I accept myself as I am, knowing that I'm flawed. I will not accept my destructive behavior toward me or toward anybody else. That kind of stuff needs to change but not changing it so I can be loved. I can love me as I am. Now, I'm not talking about narcissism. You understand that. I'm talking about being able to accept me because you can't truly love anyone until you accept that person as he or she is, even if that person is you. May I say it again? You can't love anyone until you accept that person as he or she truly is, even if that person is you. And it's when we have that acceptance for ourselves that we change, we grow. It's when we can accept our partner as he or she is, even though I would reject and not allow certain behaviors, that that partner can change and grow. And it's in that environment of love and acceptance that we get deeper and deeper into our relationship with each other. Not the ecstatic love that's had during dating and courtship, but a deeper, more fulfilling love, a comfortable one, one that really has roots to it so that I know, I deeply, deeply know that you are there for me and that I am there for you. And while it might not have the ecstasy of a young love, a new love, because of all the newness that's involved in it, it is so much more complex and so much more fulfilling. Now, I don't have time to discuss the other two, I do recommend, I seriously do, that you go to Amazon.com or whatever your favorite bookstore is, and you get a copy of the book, The Art of Falling in Love by Joe Beam, that's me, and that you read through that book because it's 10 chapters, and in those 10 chapters, I can explain so much more than I can here. I think you can buy it on Amazon for like $13 or $14, something like that, so it's not a major purchase here. And if you buy that book and read that book, you can see much greater depth of what I'm talking about. And you also can read about the other things. I don't, the other two things I don't have time to talk about here. One of which is acceptance. Oh, I'm sorry, attachment. That's the third one. Attachment. And attachment is what, well, it keeps you together if you think about it. And in, in that, then you really, really develop these deep, deep bonds, you know that the other person is committed to you, that he or she will be there no matter what, even on the days, even on the days that are the bad days, either because of what's going on around you, like, you know, financial difficulties or somebody gets sick, anything else, or even on the days when one of you happens to be, or perhaps both of you happen to be a jerk. And so attachment 
attachment is so crucial after you accept each other. And attachment does have a very strong commitment factor to it that I'm here. I will be here for you even when a particular day is not good. And the last one, aspirations. Well, maybe we'll do a program on that before too long. Aspiration has to do with a common goal that you find together. Something without giving up your individuality, without giving up what's important to each of you personally, you find this thing that you can pull toward together. And when you do, and again, I can't explain it now. It's too, too much to do on this program. You'll find a level of intimacy that most couples don't even know exist. And that, that aspiration will move you to cooperate. Now, I'm going to go back to the first two just for another minute or two before I start taking calls. Understand that when attraction is positive, the relationships continue to develop from the pies physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and that when you continue to know more about each other, to share more of your lives, to talk, to open up, to be transparent and vulnerable, that's what really creates this deep sense of acceptance, which also at the same time creates a strong, strong sense of knowing that no matter what, we can make it. And that means trust, that I can trust you to not hurt me. You can trust me to not hurt you. But so many couples, so many couples start through the first part of that and they do the positives. They are physically attractive. They take care of their bodies. They're intellectually attractive. They know how to interact with each other, communicate, understand, emotionally attractive because each of them does those things that evoke emotions within the other person that he or she enjoys feeling. And spiritual attraction in the sense that they have either a similar or a, or a growing belief and value system, you know, what's right, what's wrong, the way we live, the way we act, the way we expect other people to act. And then they continue to build on top of those things, that acceptance of, of talking about their lives, telling the stories of what happened during the day, talking about things that happened in their childhood, discussing everything from who you're going to vote for. And I don't mean arguing about it. I mean, just understanding each other all the way to what do you think about this? And well, did you see that on the news? What do you think about that? And through that process, continuing to share not only what you think, but what you feel and to share your experiences with each other, particularly when you tell the stories of your lives to each other, even back to the stories of childhood. And as you do that, love grows. So what happens with most couples? When they get to the attachment phase, in other words, when they finally commit to each other, I will marry you. I'll be your husband. You'll be my wife. We will live together. Most vows, I think, still say until left until death to us part, although I think some of the vows have changed. But with the idea that we're marrying for a lifetime, we're going to be here. And that commitment begins to fade because they begin to take each other for granted. Even begin to take for granted that they'll be together no matter what. And so because they take for granted, they'll be together no matter what. They don't pay quite as much attention to themselves. In other words, taking care of your heart, your mind, your body, your soul. Nor do they spend quite as much time taking care of the other person. So often they become so engrossed in their own lives, like his career, her career, her career, even as being a homemaker, whatever it might be, that you're doing your thing, I'm doing my thing, and then the children take so much of our time that we focus a lot on them. And we get to the situation where we're not really communicating with each other anymore, where we're not having that acceptance. As a matter of fact, it often, often devolves into where one of them starts telling the other person what to think, what to feel, what to do. And so the person that used to do those things that evoked emotions within you that you enjoyed feeling is now kind of controlling you either controlling the money and controlling you that way or controlling you by, by questioning everything you do or always telling you how that you should not think the way you think, that you should think this way, arguing with each other, trying to win, trying to get the other person to be a replica of you and, and kind of evolving into being a mom or a dad to your spouse as opposed to being that life partner that shares everything. One becomes dominant over the other. More often than not, it's the male, but it certainly happens a lot with the females. The real good marriages are the ones that are called egalitarian, 
where each is considered an equal to the other. Each treats the other as if he or she is an adult, not a child, where each listens to the other, where they don't always agree, but they'll say things like, well, that's not the way I see it, but I see how you do. And that when they argue, they're not arguing to win, they're arguing to solve. In other words, if there's something we disagree on, it doesn't have to wind up being my way or your way. Let's just solve the problem. And so when we argue, we won't be mean to each other. We won't be harsh to each other. We'll be kind. We'll be gentle. We'll listen. We'll pay attention. Interestingly, married people tend to continue to do that kind of thing with strangers or even their best friends, but they stop doing it with their spouses. And and so that commitment and the attachment phase just begins to fade, but nobody really notices it because they're not thinking about it. All they know is we don't talk much to each other anymore because it winds up being an argument. Or we don't talk much anymore because I can't tell you what I think or feel because you're going to correct me. Or you're going to argue with me until finally I give in and see it your way. That, that you're not going to be paying attention to my emotional needs, and therefore you're not doing things to evoke emotions within me that I enjoy feeling. As a matter of fact, more than not, you're doing things that evoke emotions within me that I don't enjoy feeling. Like making fun of me in public or putting me down, insulting me, pointing out my flaws repeatedly. Oh, any number of things. And because the commitment's already fading, because the attachment's already fading, and we're not even aware of it typically to begin with, we just know I'm not fulfilled by you. But sometimes people will still think, well, it's okay. Well, we're married. We're going to be married for life. And we've got these kids. Neither one of us is going to leave them. So we're really okay. But you're not because of the fact that, that you are now drifting further and further apart emotionally. And if you have kept up with the statistics of what's happening in America, you know that more than half of the adult population of America is single. Now, we had that a few years ago. Quite a mile marker, don't you think, that more than half of the adults in America are single? Why? Do you think it's because all those people want to be single? Well, some certainly do. But many of those people want to be married, so why aren't they? Because you can find any number of people who will use you, but it's difficult to find somebody who will truly love you. And so many people are just not married anymore because they can't find that person to whom they can commit. And then you add to that the marriages out there that are miserable. And so there are other single people out there that will be interacting in the world with your husband or your wife. And those single people, I'm not trying to paint them all as evil. Please don't hear that at all. That is not my intent. But some of those people have needs emotionally. They want somebody who will listen to them, talk to them. And, and so they become friends with your husband or wife. Or, or if it's not a single person, it may well be another married person who is so miserable in his or her marriage. And as these conversations start, so many people don't put up any barriers or protection because they don't think there's going to be any danger. I'm a good person. I would never cheat on my wife. I'll never do anything to hurt my husband. And I love my children. I would never do anything that could cause our marriage or family to fall apart because I'm a good person with strong beliefs and values. And so they don't put up any barriers or protection. And then they begin to develop these friendships until finally, finally they have to admit to themselves they're crossing boundaries. And now, now they don't want to put up any barriers because it just feels too good. And if then they fall into this thing that we call limerence, this feeling of being, quote, madly in love, end quote, they actually can start justifying, well, I'm not happy in this marriage, but I'm meant to be happy. Therefore, even though it will hurt our family, even though it will cause pain to our children, I don't want to be with you anymore. I want to be with this other person. Often, not always, but often they'll even start vilifying the spouse that they're leaving. Like find every flaw they have and exacerbate it to the nth degree, while at the same time having the halo effect toward the person that they're moving toward. The halo effect meaning they don't see any of their flaws. And if they are forced to see them, they negate them. Like, oh, it's not as big a deal as you think it is. And these, these ecstatic emotions of the young love, 
and I don't mean the person has to be young, I mean it's a new relationship, can become so intense and chemicals in the brain begin to shift and change in this thing we call limerence. And then they think, I want to be with this other person. And if they compare that person with their spouse, often the spouse loses. Now, it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that those situations cannot be saved. They can, but it's tough. It's hard. We work with them all the time. We have seen a great number of successes. Obviously, some of them don't make it, and some of those people do in their marriages. And even if they don't wind up with that new person, don't come back because they just don't see that it can be good. It can. They just don't see it. And so if you are not married and hope to someday be married, work on your pies every day for the rest of your life. Not to make you lovable. You're lovable as you are, but so that other people will be attracted. And then when relationships do begin, practice acceptance. Listen, understand. You don't have to accept everything the other person does, but can you accept who he or she is without trying to change that person, without trying to argue, convince, outwit, anything else? Just be two people who are equal to each other. And if indeed you can do that and keep doing that for a lifetime, never, ever, ever take your commitment for advantage. You're like, like this is going to be this way. It, it can change. And so you have to protect that. And I do hope. I do hope you would get the book, The Art of Falling in Love, that I wrote and find out how to do that last phase, which is aspiration, which will take you to a place most people don't even know exist. And it's so wonderful. And if you are married and things are going the wrong direction, you're going down the, lot, the love path the wrong way. Instead of going from attraction to acceptance to attachment to aspiration, you're actually going the other way around where the attachment's weakening. The acceptance is not happening anymore from you or him or her. It's just not happening anymore. And you are actually headed back down toward the pies. You see people who feel unaccepted, even if the other person is physically stunning, will tend not to see them as attractive. Even if they're totally intellectually attracted to each other before, if I feel you've rejected me or feel that you don't accept me, I won't accept you. And so the pies fall apart and I don't see them. I think you are unattractive. Does that mean then if you're trying to save your marriage, you should just forget about the pies? No, you still work on the pies. What you're hoping that will happen is that as you work on the pies, and those are crucial because those are foundational, they're bedrock, that as you work on the pies, when you get the chance, the opportunities to show acceptance to the other person, and whatever conversations come up, that as you begin to demonstrate that understanding, that accepting the other person for who he or she is, even if you don't accept what he or she does, that as that begins to open up doors again and the other person begins to actually feel your acceptance, not because you're telling them you accept them, but because you're demonstrating that you accept what they think and what they feel, then, then when those blinders begin to come off, you want to have the pies in good shape so that physically at your age and situation in life, you're as attractive as you can be intellectually, emotionally, spiritually, all those things. And that you're doing the things to evoke emotion within the other person that he or she enjoys feeling. Now, if you do that, you actually can rescue a lost love. It's not easy. And sometimes it's very frustrating because you're thinking I'm doing everything I should do. I'm doing all the pies. I'm listening. I'm understanding. I'm accepting. But he or she just doesn't get it. Or she, he or she's just not recognizing it or not even giving me opportunity to demonstrate it. You keep on doing it because it's the thing that if anything works, this will. Do you understand? If anything works, this will. Okay, let's go to some of our callers now. After I've talked about this a while, let's see. This is going to be, if I can make it work here, what's going on? Here we go. This is area code 972. Hello, you're on the Joe Beam Show. Hello, you're there? Hello, area code 972, are you there? Okay, apparently that person is not there. I hope it's not some kind of a glitch with our software here. Let's go to area code 915 and try that one. Hello, area code 915, you're on the air. Are you there? Hi, Joe, it's me again. Okay, who is me? 
<laughs> Adan, how are you, sir? I'm doing well, and how are you, my friend? I'm well. I'm okay. You know, I'm actually doing okay, despite the circumstances. I'm doing okay. <laughs> okay. Good. I'm glad. Hey. Uh, okay. Great show tonight. I have a, a really important question because I think it's going to happen pretty soon. Mm-hmm. Um, I will. I think I'm. I'm trying to rescue a lost love, just like you said. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, I think that it's going to probably, hopefully not, but it's probably going to lead to divorce, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But if if I'm if I have to accept her as she is, obviously she's had you know my wife is involved with another woman, mm-hmm. and she's had heterosexual relationships before. Obviously, I have a stepson, so that was one, and then we had two children together, mm-hmm. and then she met this woman, and then. It's like it's a whole, I can't compete with that because it's a different type of connection. I understand that. Mm-hmm. But what do I do, Joe, when she tells me, like, because I feel it, it's coming soon, where she's just going to say, hey, you know what? Like, I think I just, I like women now. Where in my head, I can't argue with her, Joe, because that would just make her defensive. But in my head, I'm thinking, wait a minute, you just told me like three months ago, I pick us, I pick our family. I miss you. I love you. And, you know, she's not vacillating towards me anymore, but we had a good conversation. But those conversations took place. The workshop took place in Dallas where she told everyone, I love you. I love him. He's a good man. I miss him. What I'm doing is wrong. What do I do, Joe, when that comes up? Because it's going to probably come up soon where she's just probably going to say, as what I think is an excuse, but I can't tell her, like, come on, you know, that's not completely true. Like, what do I do when she says, you know, I think I just like women. I'm sorry. Or mm-hmm. uh, what do I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, I think, like, do I just say, I understand how you feel. I hope you can love me again. One, like, one, how do I justify that she's, she well, knows as she's already, wrong. Mm-hmm. As you've already said, if you argue with her, you're just going to lock her in on it. That's what typically happens. When people, right. when people make a statement like that and the other person starts arguing, rather than becoming open to discussing it, typically what they do is that they lock into their position. Therefore, arguing is probably not going to do you any good, as you already know. So since okay. you know that's not going to work, then it only leaves you one thing. If she says, well, I've decided I like women now, then the response would be something like what you just said. I understand that's how you feel today. I want you to know that I'm still here and that I still love you. And even if we wound up divorcing, that that I still believe that you are a, a woman worthy of being loved. And, and, and if you change your mind soon enough, let me know I'm here. You are right that when it gets involved in same gender, other things get involved. And there appears to be, appears to be a difference in woman-to-woman involvement than in man-to-man involvement when it comes to same gender. And, and a lot of that has to do with the emotional connections and those kinds of things. The fact right. that she is involved with a woman does not necessarily mean that, that she is a full-fledged lesbian. You know that. We know that. Right. As a matter of fact, if you were, were going to rate somebody on a seven-point scale, you actually can. And the seven, if number seven was a complete heterosexual and number one was a complete homosexual, for example, there, there's a seven point scale in between there. Okay. And, and it doesn't mean that, that a person is altogether this or that unless they actually hit seven or one. So you love her. You've done all the right things, my friend. I mean, we've talked before. I have, I have right. told you how impressed I am with how much you have done the right thing. And I still am. As we often say, the things that we're talking about, if anything works, this will, if anything works, she's obviously making her own decision. So when she, if she tells you that, I think you're already, I think you already know the answer. It's not going to be an argument. It's just going to be, I understand that's how you feel right now. Just know that I love you and, and whatever happens next will have to happen. But I, I do have great love for you. I think at heart, at heart, you're a good person. As you already said, she knows that what she's doing is wrong because I've heard her say that. So therefore I know she knows that. And, and I'm not necessarily talking about just same gender. The very fact that, you know, she's married to you and she's involved with another person. She knows that's wrong. 
But you're not going to convince her of anything at this point other than what she already believes. And so fighting, arguing, trying to convince, I don't know how that would benefit (laughs) you at all, my friend. Oh, man, that's hard, Joe, because you really want to say, come on, you just told me like not three months ago that you Mm -hmm. you pick us. I know you can't do that, though. Well, you can. You can. You know, you say you can't do that. You certainly can. And if you choose to do so, then do. It's, it's going to be a lot based on the conversation. Because, for example, if she says to you in a, in a gentle way, I think that I'm just you now attracted to women and women only, then in a very gentle way, you could say things like, well, help me understand that just a few months ago you said. But if she says it stridently or like, you know, this is it, and you contradict her, then it's going to be an argument and she's going to lock in. So it still is dependent on how it happens at the time. And if it can be a true discussion, who knows? But what I heard you say earlier is you don't expect a true discussion. You expect a a strong statement. I think it'll be a, a good discussion. I think it could evolve into a strong statement based on how I react to it. But I'm really calm, Joe, but I just feel like, And there's another thing, one more thing, because I know you have other callers. She's terrified that this girl will find out that we did the workshop, that that we went to a wedding in May together, that we, that she did the decision point, that that she talked to Jeff and and, and to Terry. She doesn't want her to ever find that out. If I reveal that, I'm pretty much ending any sort of reconciliation later, right? Probably. Yeah. Now, if indeed, (laughs) as 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 I just said, as I just said, if indeed she says it gently and kindly, I still suggest you don't uh-huh. argue, but, but I think it does make sense to say things like, okay, I hear you. I accept that's how you feel. Can you help me understand how just a few months ago you felt differently? And, and to do it so gently that it's not like right. a challenge. It's like, I, I just really want to know. That can lead to a good discussion. But anything that sounds like a challenge or an argument is probably going to work against you, my friend. I got you, Joe. Thanks a lot. I, I know you got other callers. That that makes total sense. I appreciate it. All right, my friend. You have a may may God be with you. You have done. <laughs> I'm telling you, my friend. You have done the right things. But as we've always said, it's so hard. It is so hard. And <laughs> if anything works, this work. Unfortunately, sometimes it doesn't. But my heart is with you. My heart is with you. Thanks, Joe. You too. Okay. Have a good evening. All right, I'm going to try this 972 one more time. Hello, 972, are you there? Okay, apparently 972 is not there. All right, we're going to go down here to area code 724. Hello, 724, you're on the Joe Beam Show. Hey, Joe, it's Erica. How are you? I am fine, Erica. How are you? I'm good. I just have a quick question. I'm hoping you can help me um, figure out how to, I guess, to word something and telling my husband so um his other woman is due on monday coming Mm -hmm. up so possibly before that and um he has started to want to be more consistent in our son's life from where he was a little while ago which i think is a positive Mm -hmm. Uh, but as you know the plan is for him to live with her and um this past week he came to our son's gymnastics and i had asked him um, it somehow came about that he basically is admitting to living with her now. Um, so I had basically told him that, um, you know, because he's living with her, he can't take our son overnights anymore um, because he can't be around the other woman. Our state also um, does not permit children to be around um, boyfriends or girlfriends or anything like that that people are unmarried to um, while mm-hmm. they're married. Mm-hmm. So I'm not doing anything the state doesn't, um, you know, have right. in place anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he basically told me that he would stay at the friend's house, the male friend's house, and I don't, I don't believe him. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I want to tell him when he comes to see our son tomorrow that I've thought about it and he's, he can't take him for the weekend. Um, and instead potentially offering him that if he wants to see our son on weekends and have overnights that he can stay in our house with him. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of at the friend's house because he's lied in the past and I don't trust him and I and since mm-hmm. we don't have that trust being rebuilt that I'm not mm-hmm. that I can't let him do that 
um, especially mm-hmm. since she's due Monday. So if he's with her this weekend, he could go into labor. Right. Um, and I'm just trying to think of how, how I can potentially say that to him without coming across in a negative or, you know, nasty way. Um, or if you have any mm-hmm. advice on what the best way is in approaching him by telling him, you know, you can't, I don't want you to take him because I don't trust you, basically. Yeah, well, you obviously, if you wish, can say it just that bluntly. If if you prefer to do it a little bit more gently, the way to try to make things more gentle is to always speak from your own frame of reference. In other words, rather than I don't trust you because of what you've done, is that you phrase it more in terms of for me to feel secure, which is saying basically the same thing, but it's not attacking. It doesn't sound like an attack on him. For me to feel secure, I need for you to stay with him here, with our son here, and not take him someplace else. Because if you say, I don't trust you, then he's going to become defensive probably. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. And so you can say the same thing, but just from your frame of reference. You know, as I recall, your son's about, what, one year old, something like that? He's two. He, He just turned two last week. Turned two last week. And so it could be something like, you know, my son is two. And I know that, uh, uh, and I just, because of his age and what's going on, I feel much more secure if you stay with him here. If you say it that way, it's the same message, but it's being said in a kinder, gentler way. And then I guess just if he, he, you know, I'm assuming he'll uh, try to push that and say, Mm -hmm. you know, no, because he doesn't want to stay at our house because obviously he's, you know, living with her or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And he tried to tell me, oh, if she goes into labor, he'd let me know, and I could come and pick my son up. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, how would you, re- you know, how would you address it if he just says like, no, I don't want to do that? Just say like, well, then you can't take him. <laughs> well, that's obviously up to you. It's got to be what you feel comfortable with. You know, I, I don't think that you're trying to use your son as a pawn, but you've got to be very careful that he doesn't that he doesn't want to being a pawn inadvertently, and. Uh, so that's got to be your choice. I, I can't tell you what to do with that. If, if you're just think, you know, if you really have this strong fear that if my son goes off with him, he's going to go into an environment where I don't want him to be, then I think as a mother, you protect your son. If, on the other hand, you think, okay, I, I think he probably is telling the truth and I'm going to be okay, then you can make the judgment to let him do that. But based on our previous conversations, you don't trust him. No, not right? at all. Okay. No, not at all. And since, you, and since you don't trust him, I think you're just going to have to go with that motherly instinct and protect your child. That's what I, you know, it's your decision, but I think that's what you're going to yeah. do. All right. Thanks so much. Okay. You have a good evening. All right. And we're going to go now to area code 205. Hello, 205. You're on the Dr. Joe show. Hey, Joe. This is John. And, Hi, John. Um, How are you? Uh, well, divorced. I'm I wish sorry, I'd done your show earlier, yeah. June 30th. But anyway, my wife, my ex-wife, I asked her to go to counseling and everything, and she won't do it. Is there any way, I, anything I can do to make her go to your workshop? Well, people typically don't like to be made to do anything, my friend. Well, the, uh, I understand, but you know. Well, sometimes people convince their spouses to come by making some kind of a trade. Like, you know, I'll give you this if you go to the workshop, or I'll I'll uh, not argue about that or, you know, not fight over that if you come to the workshop. But often that's the case when people have not yet actually been divorced, and you are already divorced, right? Yes, sir, June 30th. June 30th. My, my son and daughter, they're, they're, they're five and six. And mm-hmm. um, they they tell mom all the time that they you know they want daddy back in the house, but mm-hmm. she don't. I think she might be having. Well, I, she might have somebody else. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but you know, she went to Florida four or five times before we got divorced, and she goes down to Florida mm-hmm. a lot. And one of her ex boyfriends lives down there. I'm so sorry, John. Well, since the kids want it to happen, you might try something like this. Now again. If it sounds argumentative or like you're trying to force her, she's going to rebel in all likelihood because people typically do. But to say something like, for the sake of the kids, so that you can tell them that you have tried everything, would you be willing to go to the three-day workshop? And 
there's some things we're going to learn about how to communicate with each other there that actually will help us as parents to these kids. And that's the truth. I mean, we're, that's not a lie. That's not making things up. We've had couples come just because the, the one spouse who really didn't want to save the marriage said, okay, I'll come because uh, we will learn some things there about how to communicate with each other that will make us better parents. You see, while I talk about a lot of things about marriage in that workshop, as you would imagine, we often will actually stop at, at, at various points and say, now let us also explain how this applies to children. And so there's a lot of things you get that obviously are aimed at marriage, but that also help with parenting. And so you might try, you might try, you know, so that you can tell them you've tried everything. And so that we together can be the best parents to these kids. Even if you decide you don't want to put the marriage back together, would you go to the workshop? And we have a lot of women and men who come for that reason. Even if they're involved with, maybe be involved with somebody else. Even if they are involved with somebody else, we've had that happen many times. Mm-hmm. Okay, there is one ray of hope. Uh, my son's been acting up in school, so I had a teacher-parent meeting, and they, they had to see a, a psychologist, which she mm-hmm. works at UAB in Birmingham. So mm-hmm. he's got an appointment next Monday, and they, mm-hmm. when we all went, they said we needed actual counseling, too, because, you know, we disagree on a lot of things. And right. it's actually uh, um, marriage counseling, but they he said, look at it as, as parenting counseling. So I, right. I, I just want everything to work out. I miss my well, wife and my kids. I'm sure you do, my friend. And my heart breaks for you. And I'm so sorry that your son's beginning to act out. Unfortunately, that happens so many times. You know, the kids are the ones that get hurt the most. And, you know, if you can get her to come, I would love to have you guys and would love to do the best we can to help. And if she doesn't come, I, I hope and pray that whatever you do over there with that uh, psychologist works, my friend. I really do. Okay. Um, thank you very much. Okay. You have a good evening, my friend. All right. We're going to go to area code 832. Hello, area code 832. You're on the Dr. Joe Show. Hi, Dr. Bean. Hello. My name's Alicia. Hi, Hello. Lisa. How are you? Yeah. Can you hear me? I'm good. Yeah. Okay. So, um, I just recently found out within the last month that my husband has been cheating on me. And, um, you know, it's been a process. I'm so glad that I'm able to, I found your iPod um, mm-hmm. shows and it really helped me get through it and remain calm and, you know, try Good. to see everything as a mm-hmm. whole, you know, mm-hmm. uh, my fault and his fault. And he since then has decided um, you know, to work on our marriage and he's not with the other person anymore. Good. And everything just because of how I reacted to it versus how she reacted, you know, mm-hmm. but um, he saw a different side of her that he hadn't seen. And so, good. Um, yeah. So, um, but I'm having a lot of difficulty with trusting him. Like he's out of town right now mm-hmm. and all that keeps coming through my mind is, Oh, he's probably calling her. He's probably, you know, contacting her or, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to get these negative thoughts out of my head to try to work on a marriage because that's where we're at right now. Right. So, I have no idea how to do that. Do you have any suggestions? I mean, it's like a day I wake up and I'm just like instantly negative thoughts popping okay. in my head. So is, does he want the marriage to work at this point? Yes, he does. Okay. And um, I've actually convinced him to do the workshop in Austin uh, in the following weekend coming up. Oh, coming up next weekend. Mm -hmm. Yes. um, I think the 29th and 3rd. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Good. Good. I see that your air code is like Houston or someplace. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Okay, so you're not too terribly far from Austin. That'll be a Mm -hmm. good workshop. And as a matter of fact, in the workshop, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's coming. That's awesome. In the workshop, you'll hear discussed a lot of things about how to rebuild trust. And here are the steps you go through. Here's what you do to make that happen. And uh, you'll also hear a lot of things about as you reconcile, here are some things you really need to do as you reconcile. So the fact that he's coming to the workshop is great because in that workshop, we're going to be covering all of those things that you just talked about in great detail. 
and with him being there, uh, mm-hmm. that's good. That's really good. Now, so yeah, there are ways to do it. There definitely are. What you're feeling is absolutely normal, my friend. <laughs> absolutely okay. normal. And there are ways to handle this. And, and we'll teach all of those things to both you and him in that workshop in Austin. Okay, because it like makes me sometimes feel like, am I doing the right thing? You know, by yeah. giving him another chance, about by you know trying to mm-hmm. stand for my marriage, but mm-hmm. it's like I'm doubt, doubting myself. You know, <laughs> like doubting well, and, our marriage. Sure, and and that is so very common. Okay, so mm-hmm. everything you're doing, everything you're doing sounds good to me, Lisa. Okay, and, and no, right now, don't don't work. Don't question yourself anymore right now, okay? <laughs> okay? Find some peace. Find some peace inside of you. And when you come to the workshop over there in Austin, we're going to help you with all of these things. So right now, just find as much peace in your heart as you can. It's just a little over a week away, about a week and a yeah. half, right? Yeah. Okay, and, and, and we'll cover all of these things for you, my friend. We will. Okay. Well, thank you so much. You've been such a blessing. I just well, turn on your podcast and go on a long walk trying to work on myself and you've been so very helpful i really appreciate everything thank thank you thank you very much i appreciate you saying that thank you my friend and and uh have a great time in austin okay 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 that was lisa unfortunately we have a whole lot of people out there i mean great number of people waiting to talk to us but it's 10 o'clock i think maybe what i'll do next week as a matter of fact, very soon, I want to have on uh, Richard and Petra, maybe in the next couple of weeks, to talk about their stuff. Uh, they have put together Back a Marriage and doing a great job, and I want them as my guests. I'll, I'll contact them in the next couple of days and find out which is the best day for them. And maybe next week, maybe next week, I'll take all calls. In other words, I won't spend the first 30 or 40 minutes teaching. I'll just start with calls and maybe get to all of you callers who are out there waiting right now and can't get to us. I'm so sorry. And so we shall see you next Tuesday evening, beginning at 9 p.m. Central Time.